Welcome back. Rob Breckenridge with you on the Chorus Radio Network. A lot more still to get to on the program here this morning. More time for your phone calls as well. But I want to turn our attention uh, to the really depressing and heartbreaking scenes in, in Afghanistan. Another day of chaos uh, at the uh, airport uh, in Kabul this morning uh, as uh, literally thousands of Afghans uh, are looking for a way out of the country worried about what's going to happen once the Taliban is back firmly in control of that country. And for all intents and purposes, they are now. Uh, they've taken Kabul. The president of Afghanistan has fled. For all intents and purposes, this is done. As we head into September of 2021, feels a lot like September of 2001. The Taliban back in control in Afghanistan. And it's, it's sad to think over the last two decades why we're in this position, how it came to this, why we've allowed this to happen. This represents a very big failure, and there's a lot of blame to go around here. So joining us to talk about some of these short-term challenges we face in, in trying to rescue uh, Afghans who are very much in danger, and the bigger picture of how it got to this point. Uh, very pleased to welcome to the program here this morning, Terry Glavin. Uh, he's an author, journalist, columnist, also a senior fellow with the uh, Wallenberg Center for Human Rights and a co-founder of the Canada-Afghanistan Solidarity Committee. Uh, Terry, thanks so much for making some time for us here this morning. Welcome to the program. Good morning, Rob. Um, yeah, I mean, it's hard to know where to start on, on something like this. Yeah. Uh, just what we've seen over the last couple of days. What, what's What's been going through your mind as you've been watching it all? Well, I have to confess to you, I've been really shell-shocked, um, mainly because all of my Afghan friends are, I don't know where half of them are. And, uh, you know, a lot of them are just hiding out. Some of them have been trying to get out. There's, there's, there's a handful that I'm very worried about. I, I just, uh, so yeah, it's been, it's been a difficult few days. And, um, but I mean, when I say I'm shocked, I'm not. I'm not shocked that, that this has happened. I think we can forgive ourselves for being a little bit surprised that it has happened now and not two weeks from now. Yeah. But um, you know, this is without question the worst American foreign policy humiliation in, in decades, mm -hmm. uh, and it appears to have uh, unfolded in a matter of mere days. I think that's where we go wrong because this has actually been coming for a long time. And the other thing that, uh, you know, Americans across the political spectrum, particularly Americans, will say is that the Afghan National Defense and Security Forces appear to have simply run away at the first sight of advancing hooligans in turbans and sandals, right? Yeah. But uh, anyone paying attention could have seen this coming. The White House was warned. This wasn't simply an intelligence failure. This was a decision. It wasn't the ANDSS that buckled. It was the United States that buckled and the rest of us. The Americans have been cutting deals with the Taliban behind Afghanistan's back and then forcing the consequences on the Afghan government going all the way back to Barack Obama. And that's, the, that's what's going on here, is that uh, the ANDSF, uh, the, uh, the armed forces in Afghanistan, they were left with nothing to fight for, essentially, because, you know, for a decade, that's the one cons consistent message that Afghans have been hearing from Washington. You're going to accommodate the Taliban. You're going to reconcile with the Taliban. You will share power with the Taliban. Your embryonic democracy can die in the womb for all we care. And since 
Biden's election, and particularly since his, his announcement in April, uh, the message has been, you will do this, and you will do as you are told, and you will have it done by the end of August. <laughs> so what, 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 is the, uh, what are the Afghans supposed to be, what is the Afghan military supposed to be defending? What are they, what, what, what are they supposed to be fighting for? And uh, I've been quite critical of uh, Ashraf Ghani, and I mean, I, I actually, you know, used to pal around with him a bit in, in, um, in, in Kabul before he decided to run for office. The last time uh, he wasn't the president of Afghanistan, you know, the conversations we had, he was always very focused and concerned about reconciliation among the people of Afghanistan. And a lot of the people in the South, particularly the various uh, clans of the Pashtun people that have, had fallen under the Taliban spell, if you like. And I, he was also very conscious of... Uh, what Afghanistan was like between 1996 and 2001, when the Taliban was last in power, and the forces that led to that catastrophe. I mean, the whole country was a smoking tomb. I think this is something that people really forget. You know, Kabul was a ghost town. It was just, it was like Dresden. There was nothing left. You know, something like a third of the Afghan population were refugees, another third were starving to death. What those people have managed to pull together in 20 years is amazing, to be truthful. So he was looking at this situation and knowing full well that, well, the latest Asia Foundation polls, for instance, say that you know 82% of Afghans absolutely loathe the Taliban, want absolutely nothing to do with the Taliban. Uh, and, you know, there's a whole generation that's, that's come up. The, the median age of Afghans is, is 19 and a half years. Wow. So you know, everybody I was talking to said, "Yeah, there's going to there's going to be a resistance." But it's, uh, I mean, weeks and weeks and weeks ago, people were telling me, you know, this is going to happen, and uh, there will be a resistance, and it, uh, you know, it might be like Rwanda. So I think Ghani kind of looked at this and said, "You know what? It's not worth it. Nobody's got my back, uh, and and the indignities that guy has had to suffer. I mean, you know, the Americans telling him." a few months ago you have to open the prisons here's a list of 5,000 Taliban prisoners that you have our deal with the top that we've struck with the Taliban says that we're going we have to force you to, to to open those prisons so he had to open the prisons and who led the vanguard in the uh, in the uh, takeover of Harat and uh, Kandahar last week the guys that he released from prison and what did they do in Kandahar? And what did they do in Herat? They opened the prisons at Bagram. You know, thousands. And some of them are Al-Qaeda guys, ISIS. Just, what, two days ago, they opened the prisons. So, you know, the place is becoming an absolute uh, bedlam of throat slitters and crazy people. And, of course, Pakistan has animated the whole thing, right? Speaking of prisoners... The new president, uh, the uh, I guess you could call him the president, or is is, is he the emir, um, Malabaradar? You know, the Trump administration told the, the Pakistanis three years ago to spring him from prison, and he's been, he was a co-founder of the Taliban, and he's been leading the talks with um, with with uh, with Pompeo and uh, Khalil Khalilazad, you know, the dunce 
that uh, has been hanging around peace talks in Afghanistan for since the very beginning. Um, and, uh, you know, he's a guy who signed the deal with, with Pompeo. It's his signature on it. And he's going to be the new president of Afghanistan. So I don't know why we, 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 we really should be surprised. Um, as for what happens next, um, it's, you know what? It's almost anybody's guess. Um, I think Ottawa, like, like the Americans, uh, has been engaged in a, in, in a, in a, in a shell game. It's almost disinformation. You know, all of this, all of this, aren't we wonderful Canadians? Aren't we lovely? We're going to take, uh, 20,000, uh, Afghan refugees. No, we're not. Yeah. You know, we, we've stipulated that, uh, you have to be, you know, in Afghanistan as of July 22nd. But, you know, you've got to fill out all these forms and you've got to get out of the country. They're not going to be able to get out of the country. The only way to get them out of the country is to do another deal with the Taliban, <laughs> giving them even more than they've already got in order to keep the airport open. I, I suspect that most of those uh, 20,000 Afghans will be Afghans who, you know, bless their hearts, have already fled the country or are living as refugees elsewhere. Something like a thousand Afghans that have been pouring every day into Turkey. They've somehow managed to get across the top of Iran. I don't know how long that's going to keep on, keep lasting, but uh, this is uh, this is a big deal. And, you know, when you've got, uh, when Trump's got a summit of democracies coming up in December, uh, with democracy having been in retreat for 16 years in a row now, and it's turned into a complete rout, and we're up against China, Taiwan is looking across the Taiwan Straits thinking, well, <laughs> do the Americans have my back? <laughs> you know, they can't even, they, be, I hate to be cold about this, but, you know, the Americans only lost 150 soldiers in Afghanistan over the last five or six years. They only lost 2,400 soldiers in the whole deal. And I know that sounds terrible and cold, but uh, they only had 2,400 uh, soldiers uh, in Afghanistan when Biden was elected. You know, we got ten, they got tens of thousands of soldiers still in Germany, still in Italy, eight decades after the Second World War. You know, um, they've got seven decades after the Korean War. They've got, uh, what, 26,000, I think, uh, in South Korea. Um, you know, this is a really, 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 really ignominious capitulation. And, of course, China, you know, they're laughing. They met with the Taliban, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago and said, yeah, we're happy to recognize the Taliban government. We all want stability in the region, don't we? And, of course, they're building a big road through the Wakhan Corridor. China is actually a borders Afghanistan. And, you know, they're heading quite straight for the port at Gwadar uh, on the Baloch coast, right at the mouth of the Persian Gulf. Um, you know, they'll bring the Taliban into their Belt and Road Initiative. So, you know, it's 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 a big deal. And and we just Canadians, particularly this government, has just been sort of well. You know, we're not quite sure whose side we're on. 
Well, yeah, I mean, look, there, there's the issue here that, uh, you know, look, the, the, the government was slow to respond to the situation. There have been, uh, you know, groups and individuals trying to light a fire under them to have some more urgency in, in getting folks out of there, right, for months. Uh, there's the question now in terms of going forward, you know, I mean, are, are we going to present to United Front and, you know, standing uh, to, up, up to the Taliban, ensuring that other countries don't recognize them as the legitimate government? I, I don't think the government really knows where it where it's going on any of this stuff. No, well, I mean, I think that, to be fair, that that is true, uh, because it, it is actually so hard to know. It's just the deception that, that gets me, you know, um, the, the pretense. Uh, um, that, that's the, it's, it, I think we really, at the very, very least, we deserve some honesty from our own governments. And if they, you know, if you don't want to say, you know what, I have the faintest idea what's going on. I don't know what the hell to do. Things are changing from day to day. My, you know, I, I have some respect for the guy, um, but the kind of things that we've been hearing from from the from Trudeau, from the European Union, from the Americans, Jen Psaki, you know, oh, we're, you know, you guys, you tell you better behave yourselves, or by gosh, you know, uh, we won't recognize you as the legitimate government of Afghanistan, <laughs> or you know, they think that's the leverage. They don't give a damn. The Taliban don't care. They're not worried about being hauled up before the International Criminal Court. Who's going to do that? <laughs> they, they, they've got, China's got their back. Iran has got their back. Pakistan has got their back. What do they need us for? So, yeah, yeah this is a big deal. And, uh, you know, the world has, has, has changed. It's changed subtly. It's changed dramatically. It's changed radically. It's changed slowly. And it's changed quickly. And, you know, Trudeau's still living in some weird kind of Davos fantasy land. And uh, it's gone. It's over. Yeah. And I think that that has got to really inform the coming federal election campaign. That, yeah, you know, I mean, a... we can't be a country that's constantly apologizing for ourselves and flags flying on half at half mast indefinitely across the country um we have to figure out what we're about um and we have to you know start standing up for ourselves and uh, yeah. that's a very general and kind of ridiculously vague <laughs> thing to say but uh, um well it's you know yeah the penny's got to drop at some point yeah. so yeah yeah absolutely Derry, we'll, we'll leave it there for now. We'll see where things go in the days and weeks ahead. But I uh, always do appreciate your insight on this stuff. Thanks for joining okay, us. Okay, hope I helped a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. All the best, Terry. Uh, there you go, Terry Glavin, uh, you know, certainly an authoritative voice on, on the matter of Afghanistan, co-founder of the Canada-Afghan Solidarity Committee, also senior fellow at the Raoul Wallenberg Center for Human Rights, uh, an author, journalist, uh, columnist as well. So, yeah, yeah, I think it is a bleak situation, and uh, there's a lot of blame to go around here.